This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? BFM 89.9, you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning. This is WTF. Short for What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show. Every Friday, we bring together all the top conversations and stories that might have been missed before you head off into the weekend. So, what WTF happened this week, beginning with the business sphere? Okay, let's talk about the hottest, latest news coming out of Twitter. And we know a lot of our listeners are big Twitter fans out there. Well, guess what? There's a new boss in town, right? And his name is Elon Musk. Because in 24 hours, the deal is going to be pretty much done. Uh, he's going to take it over. And Twitter, once a listed vehicle, will actually go private. So shareholders will be paid that $54.20 per share. Now will operate as a private company and of course this Twitter Elon Musk saga was a convoluted long long one and if you listen to the first first ever episode of WTF you would actually you can listen to the to a date by date account of a what blow happened by blow okay because so it took months it took months and guess what there's more hot news coming out of it. And one of which is that his first move, of course, was bringing a sink into the office. We are not kidding. We are seriously not kidding. There are pictures of him carrying in a sink. I don't know what else is going to come next. But what he has chucked out, ah, this is interesting, because he has changed the leadership. Departures include CEO Parag Agawal, Vijaya Gade, he's the head of legal, policy and trust, CFO Ned Siegel, who joined Twitter in 2017, and Sean Edgard, who has been general Council at Twitter since 2012. Now, this is happening as we speak, yeah? I mean, this news came in just about, what, half an hour ago, 20 minutes ago. So even as we're speaking, we're seeing that uh, Elon Musk is making moves at Twitter HQ to stamp his authority mm. on things. Um, and it's no surprise that we're seeing this exodus of executives, but the manner in which it's done, I do feel that uh, it's uh, it really gives meaning to the word hostile takeover. Yeah, because if you're looking at Bloomberg, and I'm staring at the story now, right, uh, people who are familiar with the matter as opposed to not familiar, why would they comment if they weren't familiar? But anyway, if people familiar with the matter said that Edgar was, who is the general counsel, was escorted out of the building. Wow, that's not a good sign, you know. I mean, for me, when you do stuff like this, what does this mean for the people who are still in the office, who are still working, who haven't been escorted out? Is everyone going to be running for the hills? And who's going to run the day-to-day at Twitter? I mean, Elon, yeah, he's a bit of a James Bond baddie kind of character, you know, running many, many things. But is he going to run Twitter day-to-day too? Then what happens to Tesla? I don't know, but SpaceX. I, I do know that on his Twitter profile, he's changed his uh, description to Chief Twit. So that's what <laughs> he that. is known as now. Um, and he did uh, post a Twitter post yesterday uh, reassuring advertisers that he's not turning Twitter into a free-for-all hellscape. I think uh, he, I'm per- probably paraphrasing what he said, but he is trying to reassure uh, parties that uh, he's not going to change Twitter all that drastically, maybe mm. yet, but but there are a lot of concerns in terms of what he plans to do with this, especially given his free speech stances and what he said in the past. I don't know what he means by not changing Twitter drastically when you've just basically sacked your entire, well, practically top management, right? Uh, apparently, he's also going to restore some high-profile accounts that were kicked off for Twitter for breaking the rules, including former US President 
Donald Trump. So I think more broadly, Musk initiatives, according to Bloomberg, threatened to undo years of Twitter's efforts to reduce bullying and abuse on the platform. Well, no doubt we'll be following whatever happens with Twitter moving forward. Elon Musk's always make the headlines. But turning our attention to another uh, tech platform that is kind of in the doldrums at the moment, that's Meta. You know, Facebook, uh, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, uh, its market value has collapsed by a whopping 520 billion US dollars in the past year. And now it's on the brink of getting booted from the ranks of the 20 largest US companies. So let me put this into perspective, right? You can hear almost the glee in my voice. Okay, because stock <laughs> price is down 71% on a year-to-date basis. The 52-week high for this stock was $353.83. This morning, it hit an all-time low, actually yesterday, $96.38. So poor Mark Zuckerberg is poorer, apparently, by at least $100 billion. And this is just on the back of two quarterly losses, yeah? I mean, we maybe even haven't really seen the bottom yet for Meta, uh, depending on how things go. It's really taking a hit from the pullback in digital advertising. And for all its size, it makes you wonder about whether it's actually been doing enough to innovate from other competitors. Uh, It is putting a lot of money into this Metaverse concept, but again, it may be ahead of its time because for all the money it's putting in, you're not seeing very much Mm. um, return of investment on that as yet. The metaverse hasn't really kicked off anywhere, even though they've been talking about it for the past year. Yeah. So either he's going to be a hero or a zero, right? So he's really maybe ahead of the game and he'll reap the rewards. But in the meantime, investors are just staring at this, you know, huge numbers, the huge cost that he wants to pump into the metaverse. So even for this year in 2022, uh, Meta is already guiding that total expenses will be US 84 Five to eighty-seven billion dollars, and that's going to increase to ninety-six to hundred and one billion for twenty twenty-three as it continues to invest in virtual reality. Now, this Wall Street darling no longer a darling. Clearly, we've seen a lot of downgrades, uh, and actually, it's actually going to be even smaller as a company uh, compared to the likes of Chevron, Eli Lilly, and Procter and Gamble. Now, you know. I like value, right? You know I'm a value investor. But is it time to buy though? Is it time to bottom fish? And we had a discussion this morning, right, on this. That's right. We spoke to Dan Ives uh, of Wedbush Securities. We actually asked him to rank for us the tech firms that he would be investing in at this point. And as far as he's concerned, he wouldn't touch Meta with the 10-foot pole at this stage. Um, he, he doesn't co- really he- have any uh, confidence that it will turn around. Yeah, he likened it to an uh, an aeroplane and the fact that uh, Mark's, well, the pilot doesn't even have a parachute if anything was to go wrong. So that's not a, not, that's not a good visual that you want to have for Meta. Uh, but let's move on to China. That was another shocker on Monday, right? Because we were happily munching our muruku and curries with our friends uh, who celebrated Deepavali. So we had a public holiday. But the Hang Seng Index in Hong Kong went into a free fall. It fell by 7.3% on Monday, the most since 2008. And you ask, of course, albeit it has recovered. Well, apparently because investors, especially foreign ones, were spooked by President Xi Jinping's grip on power in China post the People Party's Congress. But personally, I was a bit confused because he actually came up with his key political report, the 
previous Sunday, and it's not a speech, by the way, it's called Political Report. And was there anything new in, in it? Not really. He made it plain that the circular dual circulation economy was going to be key. Uh, common prosperity was still very much the focus of the Chinese economy. And it was also going to stick with the zero COVID policy. So was there really anything unexpected? I wonder if it was other things that influenced markets. Yeah, we do recall that during um, that Sunday uh, Congress, we did see the removal of the former Chinese leader Hu Jintao in rather unusual circumstances. Mm. I think there were a lot of questions over what exactly happened because one minute he was sitting at that dais with all the leaders and suddenly the next minute there were bodyguards coming over and, and it looked almost like they were forcibly removing him out of the hall. And I think that just drew a lot of question marks. Like what is... And that mm. I don't know if that uh, spooked investors, but it didn't really help the image of uh, Xi, I, I suppose, and didn't put him in a positive light per se. Yeah, and I think also they were just, um, they were these pro-growth technocrats, right? So like the the head of the, the central bank in China, he has decided to retire. So some of these pro-growth technocrats aren't in this inner circle anymore. So really questions about what China's focus is. But should we be bargain hunting? Because the CSI is down 26% on a year-to-date basis. Hang Seng is down 34%, while the Nasdaq Dragon Index is also down 44% on the same uh, time horizon. And it's the question we put forward to uh, Brock Silver, CEO of Cayenne Capital. You can listen to that podcast entitled Foreign Capital Flight from Chinese Equities on our app or on our website, of course. That's right. In that conversation, he did say that he was currently zero allocation on Chinese equities, but he will be reassessing this in the year to, uh, in the next three to six months so uh, again all eyes will be on China and what other indications are coming out from there it is 9.46 in the morning we're taking a quick break and when we come back we'll take a look at the other side of the coin in terms of what makes the world go round and that's politics stay tuned BFM 89.9 you are listening to WTF what's the focus a roundup show of the top stories of the week and other tidbits you might have missed I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning of the Morning Run so in this half of the show we're recapping the political headlines that have held our attention. But before we head into that, maybe some quick, I wouldn't call this fun news, but it definitely is curious because all eyes are really on the fall from grace of the once great rapper Kanye West. Although, I guess to be fair, he still is a great rapper, but uh, he has been, been been making headlines for things other than his rap music. By the way, he's no longer called Kanye West, right? He's that is right. Name, formerly known as Kanye West, now known as Yee. Yay. Yay, sorry. Oh my God. Like Y-A-Y, but spelled Y-E. Okay, sorry. That was my boomer moment there. Uh, So, of course, he, uh, you know, has lots of corporate partnerships out there that were very lucrative. They made him a billionaire. So, there was one huge one with Adidas. There was another big one with Gap. There was another one with Balenciaga. Guess what? They've all dropped him like a hot potato. And I think apparently even Universal Records doesn't have a contract with him anymore. It has kind of expired. So, and yesterday, this was a spanner in the works. He turned up at the Sketches HQ without an invitation. He just turned up. He just like literally ding dong, I'm here. And then management had to escort him out of the building because apparently he was filming without permission. And this is according to the Washington Post. Indeed. I mean, I think that um, Ye's 
situation is putting the spotlight on mental illness as well. There's, um, a, he has his known to be bipolar, um, but again, he's coming under flack at the moment for anti-Semitic comments that he's made, and um, it's really uh, isolating him from the fashion world, which once embraced him. So it is sad to see this uh, fall from grace for mm. Kanye West, to be honest. Because even a spokesperson for Vogue uh, told uh, was was quoted as saying that Anna Wintour who used to be a big fan of his and they used to have a lot of fashion partnerships, will no longer work with him. So uh, putting that aside, though, let's turn our attention to GE15 developments. There were a lot of uh, big headlines this week on GE15. I, I guess one of the top ones was the fact that uh, both the Pakatan Harapan and Barisa National Coalition announced that they would be appointing a deputy prime minister from East Malaysia. I think BN went so far as to say we'll have one DPM from Sabah and one DPM from Sarawak, whereas uh, Pakatan Harapan said we'll have one DPM representing East Malaysia as a whole. But both sides obviously trying to court the East Malaysian vote. And you can hear that conversation we had uh, because we discussed that in detail with uh, Wong Chin Huat about, you know, whether this post of DPM is going to be a sufficient enough carrot to entice uh, the voters in Sabah and Sarawak to vote for a particular coalition. And he also explained the powers or really, you know, how powerful is this DPM post? Uh, Could it just be a rubber stamp? Could it just be a rubber stamp? I mean, from Chin Huat's perspective, he wasn't against the DPM post. And as he says, there is value in uh, these kinds of symbolic uh, posts. I mean, it does give more representation to East Malaysia. But uh, I, he he says that in order to give actual political power, it's going to go much more beyond mm. that. Uh, so that's something that really remains to be seen on how that goes forward. Yeah, the other news, of course, um, which we highlighted earlier this morning is uh, GTA which is uh, Tun Mahathir's, well, a new coalition new alliance. Coalition, I guess. They're not registered because they haven't managed to register with the Registrar of Societies uh, before the G- before GE15. But um, yes, in, in you know they are calling themselves GTA. And we are scratching our heads over some of the decisions that they seem to be making or some of the partnerships that they're trying to do because they want to uh, partner both with Perikata National and Pakatan Harapan uh, to... Uh, extreme ends of the spectrum almost. So, um, yeah, we did speak to Dr. Azmi Hassan earlier this morning um, and he did not see any hope really for this kind of uh, coming together of Mm. these three coalitions. Yeah, so uh, GTA is probably going to uh, feel eight candidates in the coming GE. I think some question as to whether in the first place they'll win any. Uh, They'll be actually uh, going to the polls under the Pejuang flag because that is registered. Now, other news that caught my eye is the PKR candidates. Now, we're getting a lot of news coming out as to who's running and who's not running. Tony Pua, officially not running. Uh, Yobian, changing seats to, I think, Tony Pua. Well, Yobian, yes, uh, yeah, going to Puchong. Yes. She's taking over from Gobin Singdio. Gobin Singdio is going, going to, to Damansara. Damansara. Sorry, I'm a bit confused. <laughs> I can barely keep up. Musical Charles, chairs. Yeah, Charles Santiago out completely. No longer uh, cl- going to run in Klang. There's a new candidate there who was the Adun. V, Ban- v Ganabatirao, yes. yes. So he'll be taking over from Klang. Uh, another seat, Bentong. Uh, we see Wong Tak uh, also ousted from this, from defending his seat and instead Yang Shafura will come in uh, to run in Bentong. And we can really uh, see a difference between how Charles Santiago reacted to the news and how Wong Tak is reacting mm. to the news. So we see Charles Santiago bowing out gracefully, uh, really calling for people to give support to the incoming candidate. Whereas Wong Tak, it seems, is... Uh, 
intent on running on, on as an independent. Yeah, apparently he had a three-hour powwow with Party, Party Secretary General Anthony Loke, three hours, and then in the end, it did not end well because they did offer him the Cameron Highlands seat, which he declined. So now he's going to run as an independent, but we shall see we'll come uh, November 5th whether that's really the case. Now, what's interesting is PKR has fielded a professionals, and one of which is research scientist Noraisha Maidin Abdul Aziz. Uh, you know, she is going to contest. She's a lecturer and she uh, was born with a birth defect. We've actually spoken to her on the morning run uh, in previously related to education issues. And um, she is one of seven new faces uh, in PKR's candidate lineup. These are people who uh, are not typically related to the political sphere. Um, it's it was part of the initiative that uh, Rafizi Ramli introduced where he mm. invited people to nominate candidates um, to run under the PKR banner. Uh, so whether or not this will pay off um, is it's remains to be seen, yeah, because Dr. Azmi Hassan, the political expert we spoke to earlier this morning, also said that um, it really will depend on whether the voting public know of these people. So it's always going to be a gamble when you parachute in new candidates yeah. that don't have um, prior political exposure. Yeah, or have uh, enough grassroots support or are known enough by the local residents in that area. It makes a difference. Because he said that they did try this in Malacca. It did not mm. pay off. Uh, so whether it'll pay off this time round in the national polls, uh, it's something to be seen. Yeah, other news, of course, is uh, DBKL is limiting approvals for the construction of new highways. And this is in order to overcome traffic congestion in the city. So KL Mayor, I was a bit confused by this article though. Uh, it's part of the Kuala Lumpur Traffic Master Plan 2040, which outline measures to manage traffic in the federal capital during peak hours. And he does note that there are highways that are di still disconnected. So the construction of a connecting highway to an existing highway may be considered. So they're building more roads to connect to other, other roads. roads. Very mm. confusing indeed. Um, and it really begs the question of whether this is the way we want our uh, transport system to be developed in the city, given that the traffic jams are such a norm. Do we really yeah. need more roads for more traffic jams? I es don't know. Especially when the plan is to shift more users to public transport. 70-30 is the ideal ratio. Uh, so I'm confused. And what are you going to build? You know, does it really help? Are you just going to add more cars to the road? But very quickly, I want to highlight two op-eds that I want everyone to read. First one is actually a lot of people don't realise that there was this thing, op's lalang, because it was the 35th anniversary yesterday. And this was during Tun Mahathir's time when he was prime minister. And basically men and women uh, were charged under ISA, forced into police vehicles and carted off to cells. Uh, and I think we should always remember this dark time when it comes to the media landscape and how we should never ever give up media freedoms that we, I think we enjoy today, but we still want more, of course. So do read this op-ed. It's by Prabha Ganasan. It's found in the Millennial website. And very quickly, have a look at the garden view on the Sunak Stammer, uh, Rishi Stammer's basically, not what am I Keir saying? Keir Stammer and Rishi Sunak. Sunak. What should they be really focusing on when it comes to the UK? Conservative versus Labour over in the UK there. Okay, it's 9.58. That's all the time we have this uh, week on What's the Focus? We're heading into the 10 a.m. News Bulletin. And then after that, it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. What's the Focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.